One of the most beautiful contradictions you will ever hear is, "But God, you were dead, but God, you had no hope, but God, but God challenges everything you might think about how bad things might be." Listen and find the great contradiction for your own life at this time. We're all here today because at some level, we each have a relationship with the Lord. For each of us, that level is probably different from one to the other, ranging from intimate to maybe just beginning to know the Lord. How that relationship was begun is probably also different for each one of us. Some are led to the Lord by an evangelist or a street evangelist at a meeting, somehow or another. Maybe a crusade, maybe just personal contact with a friend over a cup of coffee. Some may have walked the aisle. At the preacher's invitation, and prayed the so-called sinner's prayer. Some may have grown up in a strong Christian home and environment, and have never known anything else. That's much like what happened to Timothy, Paul's early disciple. Paul wrote to him and said, "Now, from how from ch- childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings." Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, regardless of how we got here, we're here. There are some folks who will try to claim that there's only one way you could have gotten in, and if you didn't come that way, then you're probably not saved. I've tried to show you more than once through the various messages over the past few weeks that that's just. Pure rubbish. Some will try to make you feel like you aren't saved if you cannot put a date and time on your experience of accepting the Lord. But as I told you a couple of weeks ago, we were saved more than two thousand years ago when Jesus was raised from the dead. Try to put an exact date on that. People who think this way and put these requirements on others about their knowledge of salvation—they're coming from an I did it myself. Position. Somehow or another, they are the ones who were strongest in getting saved. But I hope to show you today that there's no self involved at any level, but the whole process and experience is by and because of the love of the Father. For you, in fact, your salvation was a direct deposit as a gift into your account by someone else. So let's begin with a section of our gospel reading today from John chapter seventeen, verses two and three, where we read, "Since you have Jesus is praying here, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him." And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, the seventeenth chapter of John contains the Lord's Prayer, not what we ordinarily refer to as the Lord's Prayer in the Our Father, but this is the actual 
prayer of Jesus that's recorded. We have other places where it says he went off by himself and prayed. But this is the only place where we have a record of his prayer. And so it's, I call it the Lord's Prayer. This is, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane here just prior to his death in a, in a few hours. Now, I'm not going to explain this today, but I want you to notice that Jesus gives us an explanation or a definition, if you will, of eternal life. He tells us exactly what it is. Now, most people think that eternal life has something to do with living forever, either in this life or in the next. But Jesus puts the lie to that thought with his explanation that eternal life is more about quality than it is about quantity. Jesus says that he is the one who gives us that. We don't earn it. We don't pray for it. He gives it. I'm going to take the next few minutes to show that this is a major thought throughout the scriptures. And it's not just something that I'm grabbing from this one verse of the Bible. I showed you a couple of weeks ago what Jesus said about our ability to choose him. In John chapter 6 and verse 44, it says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So Jesus said that we are not able to choose to be saved. We're not able to choose to be born again in the same way that you, weren't, you didn't choose to be born the first time. If the Father is not involved in the process, you can try all you want, but nothing will happen. So back to the beginning where I mentioned the various ways we have become aware of our need. We may be able to point to something that we did in the natural. We may be able to say, I walked the aisle. We may be able to say, the preacher prayed for me. But if the father had not made the first move, it would have been to no avail. Paul tells us plainly why this is so. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 4 and 5, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We were dead due to our trespasses and sins. So let me ask you a question. How much life is there in a dead person? None. What can a dead person do? Nothing. What kind of decisions are required of a dead person? None. What law is written that requires a dead person to accept Jesus? There are none. That is why verse 4 begins with one of the most beautiful statements in the entire Bible, but God. <laughs> when we're talking, when we're in conversation, the word but contradicts everything that went before. It's a conjunction, but it contradicts everything that was said before that. I can tell someone God is love, and the almost immediate response is, but 
he is also just. The word but contradicts the foregoing statement about God's love. And I often wonder why is it that so many of us want to focus on God's justice rather than on his love? And I don't know the answer to that. When you stand before the Lord, though, would you rather be told you were wrong because you loved too much or because you judged too much? However, this is a particularly powerful contradiction using the word but, because it says, but God. Powerful. You were dead, but God. You were dead and there was nothing you could do about it, but God. There was nothing you could do about your deadness, but God stepped in and did what you could not do for yourself. He made you alive in Christ. And we find this concept throughout Scripture. As I said, it's not just one verse. We find it with Moses. We find it with Ezekiel, Jesus, John, Peter, Paul, and James. All have the same thing to say to us. Moses tells us in his second giving of the law in Deuteronomy Chapter 30 and verse 6, he says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. And then he tells us why. So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. In this verse, we are given the spiritual application of the requirement for circumcision. The spiritual reality is the circumcision of the heart. And here we are told that our heart will be changed by the Lord, not by any effort on our part. And the purpose is so that we will love God. Because until that's done, we cannot. Later on, the prophet Ezekiel puts the same thought in different language in chapter 36 and verses 26 to 27, where he says, And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now there's heart surgery for you that has benefit. We have been told that we must repent and change our life to follow the Lord. Now that may be good advice. But it is much like an unfunded mandate from the government. It has no real teeth. Because there is no way that we can make it happen. If we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are unable to do anything on our own. We must have help from someone or something. We cannot resurrect ourselves from the dead. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Therefore, if we must repent in order for our salvation to be effective for us, how is that supposed to happen? Well, 
That too is a part of the but God intervention. As we read in Acts chapter 5 and verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God did it. There's no way that a dead person can repent by their own volition. Without the grace of God, there is nothing we can do. Now, this does not mean that we don't make the call for repentance. Some people, for some reason, can only see one extreme or the other. They can only see that it is all of God or it's all of me. The point is that we can only respond to what God first initiates. But we must respond. That's our part. We respond. We receive the grace, as it's said in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. We repent and change our course of life. But the entire process is summed up in this one verse, although it's in reverse order. It is necessary that we receive him by believing in him. But the point is, that is not done by you, your decision, your parents, no one. It's done by God. He brings us to that place. Now, friends, I'm almost out of time here. And there's so much more I want you to see. So I'm just going to uh, show you more of the same thought which is contained in the scriptures. Let's look at Romans chapter 9 and verses 15 and 16 where he says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Everything we have, everything we are, is because of the Lord. Then we're told in James chapter 1 and verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He, God, brought you forth. Pretty plain. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now I ask you a question here on this verse. Which, which part is the gift of God? I see that it's grace and faith. Both are the gift of God. Without the grace of God. Providing us with faith, there's no way we could see, believe, receive, accept. So that it's not a result of any effort on my part 
so that no one may boast. We can't say, I did it. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1 and verse 29 and says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. But the point that's hidden in there is that it was granted to you to believe. It was given to you to believe. And Peter tells us in his first letter, chapter 2 and verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now you can see it there. He called you. He said, hey you, come out from where you are and over here. So what did you do? You responded. You came out of the darkness into the light. Because God initiated it. Now, I promise you, once this truth begins to settle in your heart, you will no longer have any place in which to feel superior to anyone. Because you'll recognize it's all of God. And even the life that you live after his grace brings you in from the darkness is all by his power, grace, and love. As he tell, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All of a sudden I see the Im image of the energizer bunny popping across the stage here. Never stopping. Why? Because he's so full of the life of God that God has placed in us. We got the energy. We can do what we need to do. Paul goes on to say, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Saints, it's all of God. The beginning, the middle, and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the finisher of our faith. When it's cut down to its essence, we have absolutely nothing to do with it. It's all of him. Even our response, whether you fell on your face before God, whether you knelt at the altar, whether you walked the sawdust trail, whether you read your Bible and had a revelation, whatever it is, whatever God used, he brought you in. And for that, we give him the glory. I believe this for each one of you today. There is no doubt that since Jesus is the one who began all this and he is the one who will finish all this, then it will be completed just as he said it would. Your life from beginning to end is in the master's hands. Amen.